the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois, and I am joined again by my friend and co-host Ian Simpkins. Uh, Ian is a teaching pastor at the Yellow Box Community Christian Church uh, in Naperville, Illinois. Well, today's a very special day. A lot of you have have had off of work. Others of you have not, but hopefully all of you have taken some time to reflect upon the fact that today is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Uh, and Ian, that's so much more than a day off of work, right? right. It's so much more than that. But it is a day to reflect. It is a day to serve. And so we thought it appropriate to open our show uh, by having somebody on who knows a whole lot more uh, about Dr. Martin Luther King and all that he represented than you and I can right. uh, ever speak to. So with that in mind, we are going to welcome Dr. Uh, Dr. Curtis Salter. Associate Vice President for Diversity and Spiritual Development at Judson University. Uh, In this capacity, uh, Dr. Salter provides overall leadership, direction, advocacy, communication, and assessment of diversity and inclusion issues on campus and leads internal and external diversity committees. As if he doesn't do enough, he is also a licensed minister and serves as pastor and youth minister for Come As You Are Church uh, in Elgin, Illinois. That was a mouthful, Doctor Salter. But thank you. <laughs> yes, welcome. it was. Yes, it was. And, and if it wasn't for the, but for the grace of God, yes. I'd be able to do all those things. And I did not plan this. This is something that uh, God had in mind all along. And and I'm happy to do this. And I'm happy to be a part of the program as well. Thank you so much and for joining it's us. It's always good to hear your voice. <laughs> and I always I always like seeing your face sometimes too. So yeah, when you're ever up in this area at Johnson University. <laughs> Please come by. As the feeling, have lunch the, the feeling is most certainly mutual, sir. I still question that they let Ian back on campus, though. So <laughs> I'm, I'm as nice <laughs> as you are. <laughs> but, Dr. Sullivan, I'm, I'm wondering, could, could you just uh, let our listeners know a little bit about uh, how, how did you get into this work in general um, surrounding topics and discussions of diversity and inclusion? Y- your job description is so fascinating. And you and I have had conversations at length, and uh, I've served on one of these external committees, and you've had us reading books and diving in deeper. Really, a lot of what the show is about is entering into the messiness and complexity of stuff that just doesn't have easy answers. Could, could you just give some context behind you, your heartbeat, what you've learned, what you're experiencing? Well, you know, this for me has been a very organic journey. I did not plan this at all. Uh, being in Atlanta, my whole my whole uh, thought process was becoming a licensed architect and beginning to mm. practice wow. architecture. But at that time, I didn't know many African-American architects. So I began to do some research and 
study about that as I was in school. And being in school at Tuskegee afforded me an opportunity to meet others like me that were architects or that were doing other things as well. So they started a journey of, for me of why there wasn't a whole lot of people of color hmm. in just this profession. And then I got, I got tied into diversity issues and diversity narratives because I was um, – practicing architect after I graduated from college. And then I went to uh, open up my own business with my father, who, who was a, a pastor and a contractor. I think, you know, during that time, we could not, most African-American pastors could not make just a living yeah. just by preaching or uh-huh. being in a church. So they had to do something else. And most of them got in construction to do things. So that's how I ended that way. And then I started doing research. And when I got into academia, you know, when you get in academia and you want to stay, on, stay in there for a long time, you need to pursue your Ph.D. Mm. So I pursued the Ph.D., and one of the interests I had was why wasn't there a lot of people of color in the practice of architecture? Mm. So they got me into the journey of diversity and trying to understand more about this area. So mm. one thing led to the next, started teaching, and then Judson started developing an architecture program, one of the first faith-based institutions. That's right. So I got involved that way, and one thing led to the next, and here I am, find myself a be, be, being a diversity officer. <laughs> God does work in mysterious ways, right? Our paths are, are <laughs> well, amazing. Yes. yes. Uh, so, Dr. Salter. Well, I, I could not have planned that at all. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the things that we wanted to, uh, that we, we pitched to you and you said you'd be glad to do is we're going to play one of just the iconic clips uh, from Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, his famous speech. And we would just love to hear you reflect on it and respond to it. So uh, we're going to play that right now, and then we'll come back to Dr. Salter. When we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Okay, I got to be honest, uh, that clip, that whole oh speech, that still gives me chills. Um, yes. And every yes. year I hear it for, for different reasons. W- would you just... Share with us a little bit of, of your heart and reflections upon upon hearing that. Well, you know, when when I hear it, it each time I hear it, it just transports me back in time mm-hmm. to when I grew up in the South. And uh, MLK was on the scene then, and my father was uh, a pastor, as I said earlier. So he was, they were connected to an organization in the South that dealt with providing civil rights for for African-Americans and other people of color because segregation still existed. Matter of fact, I, when I was in the 10th grade, we were uh, busing took place. Hmm. So I was at an African-American school, and then they bused us to a white school that had better facilities. So all those things came back hmm. when I hear him speak because hmm. during that time period was very, very difficult time period for African-Americans. Hmm. Uh, and MLK, just to hear him say the words freedom, uh. you know, understanding what that means and understanding what that still means today. And I think our generation uh, right now, the millennial generation, may not understand what that means when he says free at last, mm-hmm. free at life. 
thank God Almighty, we're free at last. And we have a long way to go. That's right. But all those memories come rushing back when I hear him speak. Mm-hmm. My question is this, and this could be a hard question to put you on a spot with only you know a minute or two to answer, is uh, on a university campus, as you listen to this again, are you generally hopeful? Are we moving in the right direction? Do you see hope as you interact with students? Uh, where is your mindset at all these you know many years later after Dr. King gave this uh, inspiring speech? Sure, sure. I see hope. I do see hope. It's almost like in some cases we take two or three steps forward. And then we take a step or two backwards. Yeah. And and it's, it's not a linear process yeah. that we're in. And that's something that I've had to understand. I would have loved for us to make more progress along diversity is- initiatives um, at my own school mm. and at other faith-based institutions. Mm. But it's a slow process. Yeah. One, may, one may... of the things that... I was going to say one last thing. One thing I get discouraged about is that we really don't know our history hmm. and where we've come from. Hmm. It makes me think of a, a quote that I've always really resonated with from him. He said, we, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope, which mm-hmm. speaks exactly to your idea yeah. that this isn't a, a linear journey, that there's going to be bumps along the road. And I would love just, just sort of as we wrap up here, what, what are some challenges or words of encouragement, things that you, you can help us paint a way forward to think um, more, more intelligently, more critically to engage together uh, on this journey. Well, one one idea comes to mind, and for me, this is a source of encouragement as well. That we are all God's people. That's God right. made us uniquely. God made us differently, and there is hope in each one of us. And the enemy wants to separate us. Wants to for us to be. Uh, condemning one another. Yeah. And I know I'm using the language of, of, of Christians, but I think it's an important language to know that love is really what connects us all. No matter what our differences are, mm-hmm. the time periods, the generations that we have, the different disciplines that we have, it's that one word that God provided for us that unites us all. That's right. And that doesn't mean it's not going to be messy. Matter of fact, <laughs> that's what makes it messy, mm. is loving someone that's different than you and trying to work together. So I think it's hope uh, because there's still love mm. taking place. Mm. Well, Dr. Salter, we are so grateful for you taking the time out of your busy schedule uh, on this important day and helping us frame it and give it some good context and help thank us understand. You. So yes. thank you so much for your time. Yes, yes. Thank you so much. Thank sir. you. Thank yeah. you. Well, that we you know, felt like a good way to kick off the show today. Mm-hmm. We're grateful that you're all joining us today. This is The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, and I'm here again with my co-host, Ian Simpkins. Howdy. Monday is back upon us. <laughs> it always seems to happen. It does, doesn't it? And, and Ian, one thing, you and I, we're both pastors, and one thing that we've always talked about is that Monday's a tough day for pastors. Yeah, I, I heard a pastor recently say, uh, you know what Monday is, right? It's the day that every pastor writes their resignation letter <laughs> and prays for the courage so to crumple true. it up. <laughs> it's so true. I was just telling somebody this the other day. I was like, you know what? Pastors, like Monday comes and that's when we all doubt our calling. And that's when we all oh, doubt totally. like our effectiveness. And it's not just yesterday's sermon, but it's like, well, nope, it's over. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. But something that's been fun for us to do uh, on our Mondays here. 
um, on the common good is to is to say, what did we preach yesterday? Yeah. What did we preach? And I'm very excited to hear yours because you had a very uh, unique opportunity That's this right. week. You didn't actually preach at your church. Um, so so tell us a little bit about what you did this weekend. Yeah, every January we have this uh, massive student winter retreat up at the Kalahari in Wisconsin, and it's like, I love the Kalahari. Oh, I it's I, before this event I'd never been there before, oh. but it's like it's not only our church, but it's like a bunch of other partner churches, and we call it Blast, and it's chaotic and it's energetic, but it like it's really an incredible gathering of students and leaders, and uh, the the team at the Yellow Box helps create the space and the design. So we actually were meeting in the round, so the stage was in the center, and wow. so the students were around. It was this kind of idea of conveying the, the togetherness of yeah. you know the importance of community and. Uh, topic they asked me to teach on was this idea of identity. Where, mm. where do we uh, look to for our identity? And I, I opened with this this fascinating story that I found about this social experiment where they asked for 10 volunteers and uh, had them sit with a makeup artist. And for you know hours, they put on this hideous scar on everyone's face. And they were sent out into the city to record how people treated them differently. And right before they sent them out, uh, the makeup artist said, oh, I, just one more thing. And without telling the person, took the scar off their face. So, so all these people still thought they had this hideous scar on their face, went out into the city, and then came back. And 10 out of 10 reported that people were ruder to them. Whoa. They were more mean. They found people staring at their scar. And so kind of the premise was that what you believe about yourself, even if it's not true, will determine the kind of life that you live. And so the whole the whole talk was kind of rooted in this maybe the most common descriptor for Christ followers in the New Testament or these two important words, in Christ, mm. that you're in Christ. And so what does that mean? It means that you're God's masterpiece. It means that you are loved. The truest thing about you is that you're loved. And so we got to kind of speak life into these students that no one has the right to define you except the one who made you. And he says that you're loved. What if what if that was our primary identifier? Like if, if we were to walk into a party and they had all these, you know, hi, I am name tags, and you were instructed to write anything but your first name, what would you write? Mm. You know, and all these things that we we seek after, or we, we find our identity in. What if we saw first and foremost, our identity is the one that God loves? And our pain may explain us, but it doesn't define us. Our success may explain us, but it doesn't define us. And and that was a, that was really particularly special because, you know, student ministry was kind of both of our first love. Absolutely. And every time I get to speak to students, uh, it just is such a, a level of like, it's humbling. It's a real honor to be able to speak life uh, into them. And that that's that that was a lot of fun to just to be together with them. Yeah, I feel like as a pastor, it's such a huge message for students, but I feel increasingly like it's a huge message for adults. That's kind of what I was finding, actually, too. A number of adults came up to me afterwards and they're like, I mean... I think the students resonated with that, but that was for me. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I find that so often I find like I go back to talking about identity yeah. and that your identity in Christ is the only thing, right? It's a firm foundation. It's the only thing that can't go away. Yep. And uh, yeah, identity, self-esteem, all those things are always so big for students. But right. man, I'm just becoming convinced the older that I get. We just fake it as adults that we don't need to hear it, but we really do. We oh, really totally. doubt who am I? Where does my value come from? Totally. Well, I'm wondering how did uh, what kind of feedback do you get from students? Because high school students can be notoriously, you know, I'm not going to listen to this guy. Right. Or I just want to go back to the water park because Kalahari's got the cool water park. Right. That's probably the draw. What was kind of the feedback that you felt like you got from students? I'm I'm always kind of amazed because I I'm I feel like such an old dweeb. Like I can't I can't <laughs> could use the word dweeb. dweeb. <laughs> I just can't believe I'm ever invited back into spaces like that. And so you know my my prayer that whole weekend leading up to it was that. 
God, I, I don't want this just to be a collection of like illustrations and, you know, quoting yeah. scripture, like help this actually resonate. In fact, that was one of our illustrations, right? Sometimes if the only time you listen to music was through your laptop speakers, you would miss the full depth of like God wants to resonate something. Like, like God lost to lay down a bass note in a world of noise. And um, for some reason, I think that really landed because I had a, a number of students share with me some like really, really some stories, really heartbreaking, some of them really encouraging. But oh. in general, um, the depth of their questions and their interaction really surprised me because I wasn't asking any of those questions. I was like such a punk 17 year old. <laughs> and like, I'm always amazed at just the level that they wrestle with things. Yeah. Like there's a depth there that like always kind of amazes me. Oh, man, it sounds like you got to do good work this weekend. I love that. Did you play at the water park, too, yourself? I, I've actually never been in that water park. I've been warned not to. <laughs> what about you? What did you guys What did you guys preach? Yeah, our church, I'm, I'm the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church, like your church, the Yellow Box, uh, are part of the uh, citywide initiative right now called Explore God Chicago. 800-plus right. churches preaching through the same things, having the same conversations, trying to open the door for people to explore God, Right. Um, hence the name. And so this was week two. I didn't actually preach it. Uh, our My other pastor, Dave Schubert, uh, knocked it out of the park, did awesome. a great job asking the question, is there a God? How can I know there's a God? Mm. Uh, and it's always fun to have another another preacher um, because, you know, sometimes you go the same way. Sometimes you go a different way. And right. He went uh, a pretty scientific, digging deep, like how how the cosmos really points to a God. That's awesome. A- and the, the struggle it is to even imagine that... that the, the leap of faith it is to imagine that there's nothing else out there. Right, right. Then he brought it home at the end going, well, that's not the perfect explanation. and talked about Jesus. And yeah. uh, I was very encouraged. But this Explore God thing, I know you were telling me some stories before, uh, has been really fascinating. Some of the people who've been coming to church, uh, it's more at the discussion group level for us. There was a group of atheists the other day that somebody brought that's having awesome. this conversation. There was another man who recently lost his wife, just kind of saying, "I'm I'm going, I'm just trying to figure things out." You were, why don't you tell your story of the guy you met at your church? Yeah, so so this weekend, uh, Dave Ferguson, uh, lead and founding pastor uh, of Community, was teaching at Yellow Box, and same kind of thing. Just did a masterful job of like laying down some scientific truths and also like really bringing it home with with Jesus and making it personal to him and his his story. It was just it was a remarkable talk. But uh, I was greeting uh, for the five p.m. service and. Um, this guy came in and he was like clearly uh, a little um, undone. Like he just mm. seemed really um, confused, a little heartbreak. It was he, he just came in. You know, you know. Sometimes you see people yep. and you can immediately tell. And and he could like barely get the words out. He's like, "Are you guys doing the explore thing?" <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, man." He goes, "I am at like the end of my rope, man, and I don't know where else to turn. Is this is this the place to be?" I was like, "This is absolutely the place yeah. to be." Like it it just made. My heart's so glad that this guy, because I think he just typed into, you know, exploregod.com. I think he just searched churches near him, and I didn't get any more of his story than that. But, like, the fact that people are finding, at the very least, community and um, and acceptance and love, uh, even just by dipping a toe in these theological absolutely. waters, that, that, that to me is what it's all about. It's absolutely, it's been fascinating so far. And this week... Um, I'm preaching. I don't know. Are you preaching this week too? Yep. This is the week on pain and suffering. Yeah. Man. And, and what a an opportunity. Yes. And so we've been telling our people like try to if you if there's ever a week you're going to invite totally make it this one because uh, we're talking about how can you believe in God with all this pain and suffering around totally. you. Uh, I don't know about you. I struggle with that question, and I'm hopefully going to open up a little bit from. Yep. Uh, this week, just be like, let me tell you where I've wrestled with this question in my life. And the point is that there are n- no easy answers exactly. either. Like the goal isn't, hey, show up on Sunday and in 25 minutes, we're going to explain to you 
why there's pain and suffering in the world and why that's okay. Like we're we're hopefully going to enter into it, and I, I'm I'm going to try and do the same thing as yeah. as you're saying is to get to get personal and share some of my own my own journey. Hopefully, this time next week we'll be able to go. Hey, I knocked it out of the park. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shooting for a B plus. There you <laughs> go. There you go. Well, you're listening to the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show on Facebook. Well, coming up next. Ian and I are going to dive into this complicated story from the weekend of the Covington Catholic students and Nathan Phillips and all that went on in Washington, D.C. We're trying to get our arms around it and uh, want to help you try to get your arms around it as well. That's coming up on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church. I'm joined by my friend Ian Simpkins. Ian is the teaching pastor at the Yellow Box uh, in Naperville. You know, Ian, you always like to say one of our goals with this show is to help people dive into the mess. Uh, We'll dive in with them. Yeah. Uh, We may not be able to answer their questions. We may not be able to clean off the mess perfectly. Right. Uh, But I think both of us enjoy being pastors. Uh, If you're first listening now, we are primarily pastors. Yep. And I would say one of the reasons I enjoy being a pastor is to just help people... um, have categories to think, not to give people the answers. And I get really uncomfortable hmm. when people want us to have all the answers as pastors. Right. And so we're, we're that's my prelude to the story we're going to talk <laughs> about right now. Because over the weekend, unless you were hiding under a rock, you saw a story about the the, the high school group from Covington Catholic School in, uh, in Kentucky. They were in Washington, D.C. for the March for Life uh, rally. And they were on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. And all that you first got on Saturday was this clip of uh, the Covington High School. All of these boys wearing red Make America Great hats again, Make America Great Again hats, yeah. T-shirts, a lot of that kind of stuff. And all that you saw was that there was an older Native American gentleman playing on the drums. And it looked like uh, they said the, the first reports were there. He was for an indigenous people march. Yep. Uh, and it looked like these boys had basically encircled him and were just taunting him. And it was everything that's wrong with our culture, right? right? right. Our high school culture, um, quite frankly, our white culture. Mm. It was kind of everything wrong when you first saw it. But then what has happened over the last 24 or 48 hours is the story's a lot more nuanced than that. Yeah. Well, And I, and I got to admit right off the bat. When I saw that first version of the video, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't just heartbroken. I was outraged. Like English. I saw it, and maybe that's not good to confess on the air. Like I was, I was mad. I was like, "How this? Oh man, this, this just busts me up." Yep. And I saw all these like really respected people sharing this short version and this particular narrative, and I was like, "Oh gosh!" Like it's just one more thing that I I step back and think. Look at how look at how divided we are. like this. Yes. It was just it was just heartbreak, and it, I don't know. There was like a, just a tiny little sense in me, and it was very very small. Like I'm, I wonder if there's any sense that there's more to this story. And as as the hours kind of passed, more videos leaked, right. more first eyewitness accounts leaked, and uh, there's a lot there's a lot more nuance there. There apparently was a, a, a small group of uh, of black Hebrew Israelites is what they called. Um, with a speaker system, and they were shouting to these boys that were uh, waiting for their buses. They were there in D.C. for this March for Life um, rally, and uh, 
And so in the midst of sort of this back and forth shouting and there was some um, some schooled chants from uh, from the Covington boys and they, you know, uh, reportedly got permission from their chaperone to begin these chants as a way of kind of drowning out some of the the stuff that was being shouted to them. Honestly, I've heard a lot of it. Um, pretty aggressive, yep. pretty notoriously so from this group, I guess. I didn't yep. realize that either. Um, some pretty foul language that I can't I can't mention here. And then um, and then finally, there was a video then of. Uh, Nathan Phillips sort of leading a, a small group of people um, into the middle of this. And um, and it's been reported that this the song that he was singing while banging that drum, he wasn't just banging a drum um, haphazardly. The song that he was singing was a song of peace. Um, and that that was his explanation, that uh, he, he saw these two groups um, and kind of the vitriol between them and was trying to kind of enter into it to, to dispel it, right, to bring... Um, to bring some calm yep. to the chaos, and then that's where we see uh, the video of of the boy in particular. His name is uh, Nick Sandman. Um, you know, smiling, smirking uh, at Nathan Phillips. That caused all this all this uproar. And uh, I think even just stepping back, thinking about these three distinct people groups yeah. shouting or singing back and forth at each other, isn't that just a a mosaic, like a heartbreaking mosaic of like where we find ourselves so often? <laughs> Absolutely. There's a couple things that have stood out for me because even one of the things that has stood out for me is that I feel like we've now crossed over in our culture to the point where not only we we believe immediately, like we have to we have to make immediate judgments yes. about everything, right? It's, like when it's I not saw about the being thi- true, it's about being first. Exactly. Right? When I saw it on Saturday, I said to my dad, I said, "Did you see that video?" He's like, "No," and I said, "Oh, it's really bad." Mm. It wasn't like, "Hey, well, you know, it looked bad, but let's figure out more." But what's also stood out, like even I can't, I feel like I can't get my arms around the story because. Well, the one news report that I hear, Nathan Phillips is going in there to try to broker some peace. The the next news report I hear is that Nathan Phillips is a grandstander who does these types of things. Mm. He puts himself in the middle. You, you, I my first thought with the kid that was smirking was like he's just kind of being that kind of punk high school right, kid, right? Uh, like to the nth degree, right? But then he writes a letter to the newspaper that says, "No, I was just trying to be respectful and smile." And you're mm. like. And, and so the first thing is I think we're exactly right. Like it's hard to get even your arms around. Yeah. How do I even get my news, right? Where uh, one of the biggest phrases now is fake news. And, yep. and you just don't know. Everyone wants to be so outraged. But I think what breaks my heart about this situation, and you you touched on it already, is like it is such a microcosm of our society yeah. that you've got these three very distinct groups, Yeah. right? You have um, – they were titled in this article, the Black Hebrew Israelites, right? You got You've got them – uh, you've got these white high school students. You have the Native American group playing yep. the drums, um, and and there's there's this. It, it's such a picture of our culture sometimes, mm-hmm. or at least a, a snapshot or um, what we think about our culture. Just these guys all going at it, and then everybody in the rest of our our culture right. siding with those that they want to side with. Oh, totally, totally. And and now there's all sorts of additional reports. Some are saying. Uh, the Covington boys were yelling, "Build a wall, build yes. that wall," and others are saying there's there was no such chant. Like there's now, now we're getting down to like actual specifics of did they say this? Yes. You, you could debate was he smiling to be respectful or was he smirking to be antagonistic? I I mean I don't I don't know. Like when I first saw the clip, honestly, it seemed antagonistic. It, sure it seemed really passively aggressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now like. To, to me, like exactly what you said, this this to me is a microcosm of how we exist on social media, how we often exist in, in our communities. And I do want to say, though, that 
there are a number of people that I trust and respect that shared the initial video, the initial story and in their outrage that have since um, posted apologies. Mm. And I can't tell you how much I respect that. People, some of these guys with um, men and women, huge platforms have said, you know what? I, I jumped on this too quick and um, I need to apologize. I don't even know where I stand yet, but I do know that my initial comment, my initial post um, – didn't have all the pieces and i thought oh thank you that's what we need more <laughs> yes. in the world i jumped i jumped too quick i may have been missing they might even still be right yes. in most of what they posted but the the ability and willingness to say gosh this is this is more nuanced than i initially thought and to my friends and my family and my audience i'm sorry it because i'm so glad to hear that because for me it was like okay i'm going to turn on the radio today and i know what these certain people yeah, are going right. to say about it. like you know it in beforehand i'm going to turn on twitter and, oh, right. so-and-so wrote something. I know exactly what he or she's totally. going to say. And it's right almost 100% of the time. Totally. Yep, that that person said what we thought they were going to say, and that person said. And and that's what makes this all so difficult. As, as Christians, we want to be a little more nuanced and actually try to speak truth, uh, not, yeah. not just be people of outrage and people going crazy. And sometimes there is a time for outrage. That, no doubt. That is sometimes the, the, the temptation for me um, because I think – Sometimes I will I will tout or I will try to um, enact peace mm-hmm. as sort of a cover-up for my cowardice. <laughs> like, why don't we all just have a conversation when, in actuality, there have been times where Ian Simpkins needs to be outraged by something, no, no. and he isn't because he's trying to play nice with everybody. But so often I think we jump first to outrage before we actually understand all of the pieces. It's a great – that is a great point, uh, friends. We need to uh, sometimes take a deep breath <laughs> and yeah. figure out these things. Before we comment and before we jump. Uh, well, again, this is The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. And coming up next, we're going to ask this question. Why are women more religious than men? Oh, boy. And there's a new study out that gives an answer that I had never really thought of. Uh, so that's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm the lead pastor of Four Corners Community Church. Joined again by Ian Simpkins. Ian is the teaching pastor at the Yellow Box uh, Community Christian Church in Naperville. That's right. So we're excited to be together again. And something we always say about The Common Good, why we named it that, why we're taking our time to do this radio show, uh, is to say life is messy. Yeah. And church is messy. Faith is messy. Not everything ties up in a bow. There's a lot of gray, right? There's a lot of gray. Not everything's super black and white. Sometimes we tackle that by looking at um, stories in the news, but other times we tackle it by saying, hey, here's a story about church yeah. and faith. And we're going to do that um, right now. And and first, we want to tackle this stereotype that women go to church more than men. It's not a stereotype. It's true. Mm. Um, Percentages say it's true. But we want to ask the question, what is the reason? Every pastor knows this, that that the percentage of women to men in your church is greater than it is. You know, there's not this many more women in our culture, right? Right. Women tend to go to church. Kids tend to go to church. Men, less so. And Mm. so a lot of books have been written and time been given to why is this the case? I remember when I was leading a, men, a men's ministry at my last church, reading the book, right, Why Men Hate Going to Church hmm. and all these things. And, and what was always frustrating to me is it often got boiled down to 
church is feminine. Women like to sing. Men don't. Men don't like to sit and lesson. Men want to spend their weekend <laughs> watching football and grilling meat and mowing the lawn. And it got very stereotypical. And I remember yeah. reading those going, maybe, but something feels off about that. It felt a little too broad brush stereotypical because then right. you're saying something about the men in your church That's too at right. that point. That's right. Well, and I wonder how many people just went amen when you said men don't like to listen. <laughs> I'm like, well, he's spot on there. Yeah, yeah I, I think, you know, some of those broad strokes are helpful for us as a starting point. But holy cow, I think sometimes this idea that men aren't in your church because of X, Y, and Z, because men like steak, <laughs> men like ro- riding, you know, bulls, where's, and they like, I don't know. Where's the exit I don't from? know. I don't know, what, I don't know what the plan was there. In general, some of those things certainly are true. Some of those things, I think, um, there's some things to learn from them. I know plenty of women that love to do these things, exactly. too, that are, are stereotypically, um, you know, male or masculine, which yep. I think, again, misses the whole point like yes. uh so often we we try to just simply strategize through tactics that are, are sometimes helpful sometimes not like oh, how do we quote unquote get more of a certain demographic in our doors versus like how can we be more and more faithful with the people and resources that are a part of our family like that to me is a more helpful starting point and i do know that i you know i've definitely we you know we've both been a part of a number of different churches yes. um with a number of different sort of brands and postures and approaches and vibes and feels and um that that to me is worth keeping out in front but this uh this article uh, says something I think it's a, I think it's a bit of a bold claim. It says, "Why are women more religious than men? Because men are more willing to take risks." Mm. Again, a little clickbaity. It's a headline, so I get that you can't. You know, the article unpacks a little bit of what the research is finding, and there are some uh, some things you can't dispute that there is across, at least in the United States, more women in church. Yes. Uh, we could debate later the difference between being in church and being religious, mm-hmm. but that's a topic for another time. But I think. This idea that, you know, references Pascal's wager, who's this uh, 17th century mathematician that issued this wager. If, you know, just take a bet on God, take a bet that he's he's real, because if he's not, you have nothing to lose. Yeah. The article is sort of implying that, like, oh, men want something to lose. They want they want some risk. And because churches are so kind of comfortable and easy, like there's just sort of a general uh, unattractiveness to that to, for the stereotypical man. And I, I just I don't know. The, the article to me feels a little two-dimensional or a little one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. It, it is interesting, though, because it's saying that there is some element of risk uh, that men crave that if if churches could tap into, uh, that men might be more engaged. And again, I don't. It's interesting for me to read an article like this because I'm a man, yeah, uh, and I am hugely risk averse. Are you really? Yes. <laughs> I actually started a church, but I'm probably the least likely to have the profile of somebody who starts a church because no of the risk. I tend to be uh, pretty risk averse. Um, I like to I like to have the answers before I jump. Okay. Those kinds of things. So that in that sense, this article I think is a little too stereotypical because I'm like, well, I read it and <laughs> I'm kind of the opposite. But I suppose I've been in churches my whole life too, so maybe well, I am the, actually the answer. Because I do like risk. I yeah. I enjoy the, the unknown and some of the you know some of the thrill that comes with it. I think that I think that actually is maybe part of what led me ultimately to ministry. Yeah. Is just like. This this idea of like fully and completely that's kind of a prayer 
for me and, and um, for our family a lot too is God make us more and more uh, dependent on you that if you don't if you don't show up in this way we're gonna look like yep. fools like I there's something to that that I think this article misses a little bit that paints men as like church is too safe that's why they're not coming I'm like no. I don't like we at the yellow box we have an incredible men's ministry of like uh, I mean I mean just a, it's a number of small groups every once in a while we have a men's breakfast where more than a hundred guys show up um, and what I'm finding more and more beyond style beyond number of songs beyond the pain on the wall is authenticity I yes. mean men are our craving, like we all are, yep. is true community and authenticity. And I think when you start there, you know, style and approach and strategy is 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 fine. But if you're doing that apart from true, authentic, genuine transparency, you're you're just building brands. Absolutely. And what what this article does make me think about is when I open up my Bible and I read the Book of Acts. Right, we all have this longing to be the early church, minus the dying part. But <laughs> um, when I read the early church, uh, they didn't sit around and go, "Hey, sh- wh- how can we make this risky?" Mm. Uh, it was by its nature risky. Yeah, to follow Jesus was not just risky, and it, it was foolishly risky, mm. if if not true. Yeah. Uh, it does say something about American Christianity that, or Western Christianity that we're like, how can we make this more risky for mm. men? Mm. I think the answer is let's hold up the gospel and hold up the risky parts. Like it's not risky in the way that like if you and I preach that there's a probably a it's probably a really small likelihood that we're going to be burned at the stake yeah, or taken right. to the lions. Right. But it might hurt my reputation. Mm. Uh, talking to my neighbor might be risky. Um, and, and so I do think there is an element, but I don't think it's just to reach the men. I think it's to give a clear picture of the gospel. Yeah. I think today in the 21st century in America, it is still risky to follow Jesus. And I think churches probably dumb that down and underplay it, hoping mm. not to scare our people. Well, and I, you see this in Acts 4 too, right? The, uh, I think it was Peter and John are uh, imprisoned for preaching. Uh, and they were told not to. And they said, no, we're going to keep doing it. And when they're released, the first thing they pray for it's not like safety and protection and traveling mercies. They say, God, give us boldness yes. and signs and wonders. Do things in our midst that blow our mind, that are clearly way beyond us. And I was really convicted by that story because if I still reek of prison, the first thing I'm praying for is probably not bold. Give us more courage. It's like, give me wisdom. Help me, yeah. help me guard my mouth. You know, like one of the hallmarks of the early church, men and women, is this is this courage, not in our yeah. own self, our own strength, but like, Holy cow, Jesus is alive. Yeah. That does something, I think, to our willingness, I hope, to step out into the unknown, right? To to actually take some risks. And I think that's a call that as pastors, just as Christ followers, as people, we can encourage all of us to take another step in that direction. Absolutely. I don't think Peter and the other disciples wanted to die. Right. Right. They just knew that it was probably it was very well a necessary element to something bigger. That's right. And that was the gospel of Jesus Christ and their faith in him. Well, this is the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Coming up next, we're going to dive into the mess that has been Harvest Bible Chapel and James McDonald and that ever changing story. We're going to jump into that here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. 
This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life my name is brian Fromm. i am joined by ian simpkins ian it's cold outside today <laughs> cold doesn't even begin to describe i'd like i don't know why this surprises me every winter every and especially winter. when we have it warm like we had earlier this winter i know and it's like you look outside and there's some sun and you're like oh i'm gonna go outside it's sunny out and then you're like like your face hurts when you go outside okay this might be an unpopular opinion i just wish it would be just horrifically cold <laughs> through and through and then spring get here earlier that this like do that the teasing of the 50 degree weather like oh maybe maybe it's gonna be a light winter is just the worst for me you know the people i don't get are the people who like they die on the hill of i want four seasons so i love the cold nah I'm like, no, I think you say that because you live in Chicago. <laughs> like, we've all chosen to live here for various reasons. I don't think many of us chose the winter. It's like a coping mechanism a little bit. I will say, though, the older that I get, I do actually appreciate how the cold forces us to slow down a little bit. Okay. Like, I do. I, do, I really didn't like that in my 20s. But now I think I'm appreciating it a little bit more now that I, you know, have a family and I just really cherish that time. Like, it is oh. true. When your kids are little, you can do the hot chocolate with the market. Yeah. Now I'm all about the seasons. <laughs> Bring on the cold. I converted you just like that. <laughs> no, man. If I could have spring and summer all the time and then early fall, but not with winter coming. Right, right. If fall led to spring, that'd be ideal. Yeah. So... Uh, something we've been following here at The Common Good. And by the way, you can interact with us at Facebook, facebook.com backslash The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Also, we've heard from a bunch of you who've been listening to us uh, via podcast, so we're grateful for that. If you could subscribe and even leave a review, uh, that's always helpful, partially for our, our self-esteem. But also, <laughs> it helps in the podcast world. I appreciate world, your so. honesty there. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that implied a good one. So, right. One of the stories we've been following uh, very closely since we started the show is it's kind of coincided with all that's been going on at Harvest Bible Chapel. Yeah. So a little bit of background. You know, about two or three weeks ago, um, James McDonald, Harvest Bible Chapel, a um, uh, an article came out written by Julie Roy's. We've had Julie on the show a couple times. She's yep. hugely impressive. Uh, Julie wrote an article just kind of detailing um, all of just kind of the, uh, you know, abuse and some money issues, just a, a lot of just kind of shady things, kind of yeah. hard things at yeah. Harvest Bible Chapel. Uh, and that has, as you and I joked about a different time, has kind of like uh, tapped a geyser. Now, all mm -hmm. the stuff that was under the surface has kind of shot out and you've got the you know, the blog, the elephant's debt, and other places. Mm. Uh, they sued James McDonald and Harvest Bible Chapel. They sued Julie and the, the bloggers and the bloggers' wives. Uh, and that what, that lawsuit got dropped. Right. Uh, and now things feel like they're just cascading downhill. Mm. Uh, and sadly to say, it took another turn this weekend. Like, I, I wasn't excited to come in necessarily and talk about this again, but right. it took another turn this weekend that, that we just have to cover, and that's yeah. this. Uh, there is a campus of Harvest Bible Chapel in Naples, Florida. Right. Beautiful down there. That's Naples, so Florida. Told. And this uh, this church was started by, name, by a man by the name of John Seacrest. He's the founding pastor. And, and last week, I should say, that, that Harvest Bible Chapel put James McDonald on indefinite sabbatical. Right. Okay? The thought process being, uh, get away. Uh, you don't need to be speaking. Um reflect, hopefully there's some reconciliation, some repentance, whatever, um, which seemed on the surface like a good idea. Yeah. 
but the, one of the strange things, and we talked about this last week, was that in the process, <clears throat> in the process, uh, he is going to be speaking also uh, at Naples, at the church in Naples. And that got some people going, well, that's strange. Hmm. You're on indefinite uh, sabbatical. You're not going to speak here, but you're going to speak there. And then here's what happened this weekend. John Seacrest, he finally wrote and he said, I, I called Harvest and basically said, I want my church back. Oh, boy. And uh, he said, I don't want James speaking here. And in fact, I'm not sure we want to be associated with Harvest anymore. And I don't know the legalities. I don't oh, know boy. what's tied into what. But here's what I do know. Uh, according to the reporting of Julie Royce and others, uh, he was not only told no, uh, but he was immediately fired. Ugh. And yeah, that's exactly how I feel. Yeah. So John Seacrest was fired. James McDonald is going to continue speaking there. Uh, and then it was this whole like kind of ugly movement going on of like, well, maybe this church, the people can go and meet at the YMCA and people here who owns the buildings. And and your noise was a good one because, man, I, I don't know what else to say mm. uh, except to say this is just not only ugly but damaging to the church and yeah. to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was the headline of the Daily Herald I know. on Sunday, I know. And, and it's all over the Internet. And it used to feel like, well, we're in the pastor world, so that's where it sits. No, uh, there's another radio host, right, a big guy who was talking about this because he used to go to Harvest and other things. Uh, man, what do you do with this messiness? What, how are you processing this as we talk about it over and over and over again? Yeah, you said it right. I am processing, yeah. not I have processed. So it's still very real and present for me, not just because uh, we're pastors and I care about the local church and the Big C Church, but also because I have a number of friends who do or have called Harvest home. And mm -hmm. um, I'm also friends with a number of People who consider consider themselves atheists or um, were a part of the church and have left the church, like that that's a that's a thing that that really uh, that's that strikes close to home for me in a number of ways. And I actually shared something on on Facebook uh, before the weekend, kind of admitting first that these were hard words to write, but that I'm I'm praying I'm praying mm. for James um, that his heart would be contrite. I'm praying for the people hurt and affected, both past, present, and I'm praying for those who are maybe um, standing on the outside pointing inward saying, this is why I don't buy into church or organized yes. religion. Like, th this is why I left in the first place. I'm praying for the global church. I'm praying for those who who this is sending into a spiral. Like, I don't – that feels like such a, a, a pat answer. But for me, like, I when That's I don't know answer. where to start, I got to start by saying God – and God also – showing me any of any of these tendencies that I might have. Like, yes. don't let it just be about me saying, oh, I'll pray for this, the people affected and people like God. Don't let me get ever get anywhere near what any of this has caused, because, you know, as we talked about last week, it affects more than just a local body or an address that has implications way beyond that. Yeah, this is just I think it's great, man. A point to prayer. It's made me angry. Yeah. Same. And uh, it's made me con consider like. I've never had to choose a church. I've always mm. worked at churches. Okay. But I have wondered what, if I didn't work at a church, what kind of church would I choose? What would be it that draws me to a church? What would I say? Is it programming? Is it dynamic speaker? Is it whatever? And it does just cause me pause that so many people have been in, quite frankly, what internal people are describing as somewhat a toxic environment. Yeah. And yet the church continues to grow. And part of us can be like, well, that's by God's grace. I don't know. Uh, maybe it is. Maybe it is. But it's also by, by the uh, lack of the right priorities. And yeah. It just makes me sad because 
this is a black eye for the church in the Chicago land coming off of the willow stuff. Yeah, no kidding. Which was, we don't mean we're eyes. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, and so huh. it, it really causes me as a pastor, uh, I haven't spent a lot of time praying, so I appreciate you bringing that up, but it has caused me to think about what do I desire to be? Oh, that's good. Do I want to be the celebrity? Right. Uh, do I long for that? Um, it's just hard. It is hard, and I think it can't just stop with prayer. Prayer, reflection, that that should all lead us to action, too, to not just simply pray nicely that this stuff would go away, but to actually be the people who are making and enacting changes to uh, you know, greater accountability and for pastors and leaders to step up and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to own the stuff in my own life and invite people into the messiness yes. uh, rather than letting it spiral out of control. Well, we'll continue following the story. Hopefully have Julie Royce on another time. Uh, and to talk more about this as things continue to unfold. Well, coming up next, we are going to talk about an article along these lines about kind of the bullying pastor. How do we get to that spot in mm. a very convicting article? Uh, but you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Uh, this is A Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois. I am joined again by my friend and co-host, Ian Simpkins. Ian is the teaching pastor at the Yellow Box uh, Community Christian Church in Naperville. Uh, and so we bring that up to say that we're both primarily pastors. Yep. Uh, we kind of moonlight as radio hosts, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I like thinking about it like that. Nice. We moonlight. And uh, so we tend to look at things in this world through a pastoral lens. Yep. For better um, or for worse. For better <laughs> or for worse. And that's a lot of what we want to do on this show, help people look at things in the world, in the news, in the church, through a pastoral lens, through a Christian lens, hopefully through a gospel lens. Yeah. And uh, if you were with us just a little bit before, we again tackled what's going on at Harvest Bible Chapel and James McDonald as, as just... Things that appear to be have have been under the surface for a long time, if yeah. you believe the reporting, is now all kind of, it's like a geyser, right? Like it's right. all been there and now it's just, yep. just blown up. Yep. And uh, like we said in the last segment, it causes us to question, it causes us to pray, it causes us mm-hmm. to ask questions. Uh, but one of the things, Ian, you and I were talking about was it causes us to ask questions about ourselves. That's right. Like, uh, but but for the grace of God, go I. Like, yeah. how do we not end up in that spot living like that as a pastor? And for those of you, hopefully most of you out there aren't pastors, what can you expect? What should you expect hmm. of the man or woman that you call pastor? Yep. Uh, what does that look like? And so I would love to hear your thoughts. We're going to be referencing uh, a, a great story that we read out of the Gospel Coalition, uh, written by, I believe it's Sam Allen, Allenby. Um Alberry got his name wrong. Sam <laughs> Alberry entitled "How Do Christians End Up with Domineering Bullies for Pastors?" Mm. Um, I, neither of us want to be the domineering bully. Right. We want to be shepherds. Right. We want to be biblical pastors. And so, um, with that as the beginning platform, give me some of your thoughts. Well, he, this quote and this story here is one of the best things I've read on this topic. Frankly, he says, "The flock is to be led, yes, by beauty of example, not force of personality." Oh, wow. That That is jam-packed with meaning. I think you hit the nail on the head, too. For, for us to begin first with the posture of, oh, I probably have some of this in me. Right? It's one thing to like point fingers at other leaders and other churches, but to, to at least recognize, man, I'm as susceptible to that, and maybe in different ways, right? The goal isn't for us to create you know, just this archetype of, like, here's what a pastor looks Correct. like, because pastors are as diverse as 
people are. Some will have strengths here and weaknesses there. They're going to have different giftings and talents. But when you get down to it, though, this this pattern, this trend almost of the kind of domineering, fear-mongering yes. pastor, to, that's, that, to me that is so problematic in so many ways. That's not just a personality thing. Like, I really think it comes down to a sin thing, yeah. if I could just call it that. Mm. It's not like, oh, I just have kind of an aggressive personality. You're like, yeah, that may be true. That isn't an excuse, though, to use this position, this authority, this platform, this community that God entrusted you with um, to abuse or exploit or manipulate people, ever. That's never, never. ever okay. Uh, you could say, I'm, oh, I'm type A or I'm kind of an alpha. You're like, that's fine. All of those things, I've met people in all those categories who are, incredibly gracious, humble leaders. I, I think it was Patrick Lencioni a few years ago I heard him say, I'm tired of hearing the phrase servant leadership because there is no other kind. Like sure. that idea that it's, you know, we, we, we create a category called servant leadership. It's like, no, that's what true leadership is. And so when we see these examples of, you know, shady behind the scenes happenings and domineering and fear mongering, like I think by his definition, he's like, well, that's not actually leadership. And it's certainly not the kind of leadership that reflects Christ. He says here, you bring up the word domineering. He says to domineer is to be worldly and to domineer is to go against New Testament teaching on church governance. Wow. None of us were ever meant to be domineer. But for somewhere along the way here, um, we've set up the pastor as uh, CEO, as general, mm. uh, as vision guy, mm. and less as shepherd. Mm. And uh, he says here in the story, we can learn from CEOs and generals, but pastors are not meant to be CEOs yeah. and generals. And, and I think he's getting at something really good there because, mm. man, I don't know about you, but I think some of the best pastors I know, like the guys uh, and women that I respect the most as pastors are in some of the smaller churches that mm, I know. Yeah. But yet somewhere in our Christian world, we've set up this thing where it's only in the big church are where the good pastors are residing. Yeah. Uh, they're the ones we put on stages and, and they write the books that we buy and all this stuff. Uh, and I understand now why we've set up this unhealthy tension of like, what does it mean to be a pastor yeah. versus what does it mean to be a vision caster? Yeah, and, this right. and, that. and those are important elements. Absolutely. I just feel like the longer I'm a pastor cards on the table, the less I like the word vision. Mm. And I get it. There, It needs to be there. we got to totally. be taking our people somewhere. But the more I just want to hone in on being a shepherd and caring for the flock. Well, and I think that shows uniquely how God has has wired you. Yes. One of the things that we reference and use at Community a lot is this this rubric created by Alan Hurst called the, uh, the APEST, right? Mm -hmm. So APEST stands for Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Shepherd, Teacher. And each of the church needs all of them, right? Mm -hmm. This is taken right out of Ephesians four. The the whole point, this premise, this thesis is that all of them are good, but they all have pitfalls. They all have a shadow side. So even just getting to know you better, mm -hmm. like the shepherd thing, makes total sense. The more that I like know you and know your personality, I'm like oh man, God is, God is wired Brian to shepherd. Shepherds care for. They're the ones that are like, man, I want to have coffee with that guy. This yes. guy's gonna walk through. A, a messy thing in my marriage, right? The apostles tend to love uh, like vision and like raising up new leaders and starting new things. And we, we need that too, you know, and, and prophets, they're, they're, they're often the ones that kind of really struggle with speaking truth to power. And, you know, there's a reason that the prophets in the old Testament, you know, often were either killed or they went crazy, you know, but the evangelists, they're, they're preoccupied with like reaching the lost, yes. right? And the, and then the teacher loves like making complex truths, um, simple for us to like understand and, and to live out. So the church needs all of those, um, but each of those have a shadow side, a, a pitfall to them. And so I think to, to recognize the diversity of gifts and that 
Um, whether a church is, is big or small, or, um, I, I think those are such secondary questions. Obviously, we want more and more people, Absolutely. right, to use our phrase, to find their way back to God. That's mm-hmm. why we're doing what we do. Um, but I have also shared coffee with – I had a coffee with a guy like a year ago, and he'd been faithfully loving his community for like 40 years. And, you know, they in that they never achieved the number that he thought he was supposed to. And, like, with tears in his eyes, he's asking me, well, how did I fail as a pastor? Oh. And I'm like, who told you that you're a failure, man? You've, you've faithfully walked alongside a community of people and loved them and shown them Jesus for four decades. You're my hero. Like, <laughs> oh, man, that grieves me that, like, he, you know, some something in his system and his sphere of influence made him feel like, less than because he hadn't achieved, you know, some number that he was told he should have. Oh, that's hard. I think for all of us, what we need to look in the mirror is ask the question, why increasingly as we've read these stories, whether it be Harvest or Willow or other stuff, why have we set up these churches that are like the grand churches that we, that we Mm -hmm. hold out there where it's even possible for the, for the person at the top to fall in such spectacular ways. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the, uh, that's the autopsy that's going to need to happen here when all of the dust settles. Yeah, right. And I, I think for for pastors and leaders uh, listening to lead by example, not by coercion, right? Yes. That it's not just the responsibility of the church to not put people on pedestals, but so often, you know, pastors put themselves on pedestals, right? It's it's a both and. Like, let's continue Absolutely. to say, do I look more and more like Jesus today than I did yesterday and last year? And that that, I think, should always be our barometer. Yeah, well, we'd love to hear from you. You could reach out to us on Facebook.com backslash The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show on Facebook. Both Ian and I have really been enjoying having the interaction with people on Facebook and hearing from them. So we would love for you to join us and continue the conversation. Well, coming up next... Uh, There were some football games over the weekend, (laughs) and boy, were they brutal. Oh, boy. So we are going to talk. We're going to unpack that and see if there are some life lessons hiding out in in the NFL championship games yesterday. So we're going to do that next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, and I am joined again by my co-host, Ian Simpkins. And it is a Monday. We are pastors, so a little a little punch drunk and everything, but it's good <laughs> to be out in this cold day. Uh, but, Ian, it's also the day after the NFC and the AFC Championship Games. Yeah, those were uh, apparently going on. They were. You, you had some <laughs> other things going on, church ride. But uh, the Super Bowl is set, kind of the, the big game, the big day for um, – for our country is the is the Super Bowl. Lots of parties coming through in two weeks. Uh, and if you didn't watch the games and you aren't aware, the New England Patriots are back, right? Cue the Darth Vader music now. <laughs> the New England Patriots oh, are back. I did. Although, here's something for you. Oh, no. The New England Patriots, they've lost multiple Super Bowls, but two most memorable. They are 0-2 against my beloved New York Giants. You were just holding on to that, weren't you? You were ready with that. All the time. (laughs) All the time. New England Patriots are going to... They beat the Kansas City Chiefs in Kansas City. An impressive game. Uh, Had a little bit of controversy, uh, but Tom Brady did what Tom Brady does. And he took him down the field and scored a touchdown in overtime. I mean, some... He is the greatest of all time. He is incredible to watch. I do have to say that. I mean, he's he's as old as me. 
and he's it's out not there. Old. Don't do that to yourself. Are you kidding? You're man? a spring chicken. There Come you on. go. There you go. Uh, but he's just doing it. So he's going back to the Super Bowl. I believe it's like his ninth Super Bowl in 18 years, That's or something crazy, crazy like that. Uh, I'll, he continues to rewrite the record books. The other game, uh, the Los Angeles Rams went in and defeated the New Orleans Saints at the Super Bowl, Superdome in New Orleans. And speaking of controversy, <laughs> this game had its fair share. The Saints went up. I know you weren't able to watch the game. Saints go up early. Looks right. like they might blow them out. The Rams start coming back. Uh, but the Saints have the ball. Tie game. They can basically they get it down to about the, the 15, 20 yard line. They're they're just setting up for a field goal eventually, and right. they can if they get one more first down, they're going to be able to run the clock out until they kick a field goal, right. win the game. Third down and ten. Drew Brees drops back, and if you didn't watch the game, uh, this is what happens. Quick snap. Brees. Two officials talk to each other. Crowd's going crazy as there's no flag right on the Saints sideline. Well, it, but that should have been a penalty. And, you, and John Payton is, is justifiably upset. And so there's it's a, it is the most blatant pass interference call you could ever see, and the refs just don't call it. Yeah. They just don't call it, and to spin it out then further, the Saints do kick a field goal, but instead of being at the buzzer, it's with a minute and a half left. Rams go down, kick a field goal. Saints get the ball in overtime, throw an interception. Rams kick a 57-yard field goal to win the game. And the people, the coach, everybody in New Orleans is like, we were robbed. Yeah, losing their minds. There there was a sign over the highway, one of those highway signs that normally tell you how many people have died in traffic accidents, right? But instead it said, we were robbed. That's all it (laughs) It says in New Orleans. Yeah. And so it's the Pats and the Rams, the Patriots and the Rams. Uh, But I want to focus in on this, uh, what happened with the Saints. Hmm. Because they legitimately... Um, got like Rob's way too overstatement, but <laughs> it was unfair. It, it was unfair. And so they've get, these guys have been practicing since July, right? To get to this moment, right? Uh, it changes everything about legacies and all the stuff. They're gonna go to the Super Bowl, right? And now they're not. And you could always say, well, it's just one play. No, no, this one play basically would have ended the game. And the ironic thing is the guy who committed what should have been the pass interference after the game said, yeah, I, I interfered with them. No but they, kidding. And then he started joking, but got to respect the call, all this stuff. <laughs> uh, and so uh, it's a reminder, life's not fair, yeah. I guess, that even guys making multi, multi-million dollars can come down to a subjective uh, referee. So that's your Super Bowl matchup. <laughs> I mean, I'm fine with that. I, I, I guess. I don't know. I'm not going to sleep over it. All of us now become Rams fans. <laughs> we all become Rams. That just talks of the no dominance comment. of the Patriots. That's because, true. Uh, we have no reason to root against them except that they always win, that's right? True. Why true. don't we like them? Because they always win. Uh, I did want to spin it this way. Uh, we're pastors. We like to take yep. things pastorally. Uh, one of the things I always hear from people is life's not fair. Yeah. And sometimes that's an excuse. Hmm. Like sometimes it's like, no, you think life's not fair because you've made bad choices. <laughs> right. Those are just called consequences. Exactly. Right? Sometimes life's legitimately not fair totally. in small ways, but sometimes big ways. Like, yep. hey, it's not fair. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do and I got cancer. Yeah. Um, or small ways. Hey, I was a good employee and I lost my job. Right. Uh, this and that. Uh, how do you help people? navigate the question of, well, life doesn't seem fair. Yeah, I, I think first beginning with a, 
a posture that agrees with them. Yeah. You know, like for someone to say, man, this happened or I played by the rules and I, I still got burned. Like we, we talked, you know, last week even about Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a book for the person who like played by the rules, fought, followed the plan oh. and, and still didn't, it didn't pan out with them on top. And I think that's why that book uh, resonates so much is that we've all been there. We're like I did all the things. I followed the steps. And I think maybe that's part of the undercurrent is that ultimately this thing isn't about steps. It's not about like, oh, do this one thing and then this is destined to happen or pray this one way and then God's going to you know rain down escalades and 401ks and you'll be fine. <laughs> yes. like, it, isn't, it isn't this like – it's actually way more messy and nuanced, the thing that we talk a lot about on this show. But I think uh, the important piece, first and foremost, especially as pastors, when someone comes to you, in particular, when it's something heartbreaking, right? Mm -hmm. Like, why would God let this happen? You know, we're going to talk about that in our churches this weekend. Yes. I think um, the first day, I don't know why God let that happen. Mm -hmm. I do know that it can't be because he doesn't love us. Because look at the cross. And mm -hmm. I'll often say, why would God let this happen? And I have to say, often with tears in my eyes, I don't know why he did. But I do know that it can't be because he doesn't love us. Because mm -hmm. when I look at Jesus, when I look at the cross... To me, that's indisputable. And that, that, I think, is a starting point. And it also gives people permission just to breathe, yeah. to even be angry, to be upset, to yell at God if they need to. I, I mean, I encourage that. The Psalms are filled with accounts of people saying, God, did you, did you lose track of me? What are you doing? How is this happening right now? Jeremiah says some pretty startling things like, I wish I'd never been born. Mm. You know, we have a whole book called Lamentations, right. crying out, saying, this isn't fair. This isn't what I signed up for. And I think the fact that that's included means that lament and, and grief and sorrow can be as much a part of our worship as anything. Yeah. I love that you pointed us to the cross. Like God says that he is near to the brokenhearted yeah. and there's nothing less fair in all of the Bible than the fact that Jesus was hung on a cross. Yeah, right. And it was done for a purpose. Right. Uh, and also, I'm not a big fan of like, we can get into this another day, but like, I, don't, I try not to like, completely separate our life here and we go to heaven one day right but there is a point to our eternity there's a pointing to our eternity that says you know what there's there's not going to be any tears there right there's not going to be any sickness there's not yep. going to be any death there's not going to be any unfairness yep and, and to help point people to a day where it will be fair yeah um and the last thing is you know what else is not fair uh, me being forgiven. Yeah. <laughs> That's Great. also Grace. not fair. Grace is Grace. the anti-fair almost. Grace is not fair. <laughs> Off of that football game, let me just take a little tangent here. I, I, you probably <laughs> didn't see this. Um, Drew Brees is the quarterback of the Saints. He's yeah. a believer, right. uh, a family guy. got like a couple, a couple sons, I believe, four or five kids. Uh, there's a picture of him after the game. He has got to be heartbroken because his dream of going to the Super Bowl, he's he's won one Super Bowl, but he's getting up there in age. Right. And th he should be going to the Super Bowl. Uh, he's got to be just so distraught, yet there's a picture mm -hmm. of him Becca, an hour or two after the game on the field of the Superdome in his just normal clothes having a catch with his sons. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to over-trivialize this. He was probably crying. Who knows? But yeah. but this picture of him like having these priorities, I don't know. Something about that felt oddly comforting yeah i love that yeah so anyway uh if you feel like you're feeling badly today at least you're not on the new orleans saints <laughs> that's that's our takeaway life, bringing it home. <laughs> life is not always fair but you know what as ian said so well grace isn't fair either and we have that uh, in jesus hmm. well you're listening to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life we'd love to hear from you on facebook at facebook.com slash the common good radio show that's the common good radio show and coming up next uh we're gonna land this plane we're gonna 
We're going to have some laughs before signing off for the night. So that's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Our producer, Josh, he just, he's loving this. He's so tickled he by this. He is loving this. Every time we come back and we do strange stories we found, things that we think are funny, he, he thinks we're a bunch of Looney Tunes. I thought we were calling it interweb insanity. Isn't that what we decided sure, on? All sure. right. We'll go with that for today. today, at least. <laughs> hey, if you've got a better name for it, there's a great place to tell us. Where that, is that place, Brian? The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show on Facebook.com. We'd love to have you continue the conversation there. So, Ian, you and I like to grab a bunch of stories that made us chuckle, made us laugh. They're usually from England or Florida. <laughs> Uh, why don't you uh, Why don't you begin us today? Well, Pennsylvania is in the running. Oh, and, yes, uh, this story yes, yes. comes out of Pennsylvania. The title says it all. Pennsylvania man's pet alligator is an emotional support animal. <laughs> a Pennsylvania man says his pet alligator is an emotional support animal, and he's been taking the reptile to visit the elderly. He's quoted as saying, he's just like a dog. He wants to be loved and petted. I'm just going to go on the record and say I'm not petting that alligator. Nope. You want to know how he's not like a dog? He's an alligator. <laughs> Tara, can you imagine like being one of the residents in these communities? Like, oh, we have a guest today, and they like walk in an alligator. No, uh, no I think we should try that here sometime. I'd say see you later. Yeah, we get it. That's what I'd say. No? Okay. After a while. <laughs> Your turn. That's good. Headline, England. We're back. Oh, boy. England. Viewers laughing over police officer with, quote, best name ever. And it's very ironic. So this police officer was on a news program and it started to go viral because people noticed uh, his name. Are you ready for this police officer's name? (laughs) No. This police officer's name is Rob Bakes. (laughs) (laughs) If ever there was a time to go by Robert or or Bob. Bobby. Yeah, don't go by Bakes. (laughs) Thanks. Oh, that's that terrible. is great. His name is, uh, you know, he had a couple different ways he could go. Yeah, no, so. he clearly wanted this attention. Yes, yes. <laughs> he wanted to make the headlines. Uh, my wife is going to love this one. Okay. It says, stretch sloth-like at an offbeat yoga class, and I'll spare you the details. It's yoga, which my wife loves. Okay. With sloths, which my wife loves. Oh. And apparently, I don't think the sloth is, like, leading the uh, the class, but they're, like, around. And that's somehow supposed to create a sense of peace and tranquility that while you're doing your stretches, there's a sloth just climbing around the room. I don't know if you've seen a sloth up close. No. That actually, I don't find that calming at all. I, I I personally find them a little bit terrifying. My wife would totally disagree. But Isn't there, like, a yoga thing now with goats? Oh, Isn't there yeah. like a goat yoga, a big thing yeah, now too. Tom Brady comes to the uh, to the class. <laughs> you're you're all in today, man. <laughs> I can't help it. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Goat yoga, sloth yoga. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Des Moines, Iowa. Sure, Des Moines, Iowa. A man by the name of Tyler Heap uh, was not a big winner in the lottery, but he did win something. So the Metro man, it says here, he cashed in some change from his car last week and used it to buy some scratch off lottery tickets. He scratched off and he won. Do you want to know how much he won? Oh. One dollar. Whoa, what a winner. He was a one dollar winner, and so he decided <laughs> to cash it in just like the jackpot winners do, so he headed to the Iowa Lottery headquarters. Sure. 
when he asked, he went into the headquarters, and you know what he asked for? He asked for one of those big checks. <laughs> he asked for a big golf check. I think he thought he was being funny. He said he wanted one for $1, and they did it. He was surprised they did it no for kidding. him. No The memo line of it says, uh, stinking rich. <laughs> this guy is my hero for today. I probably need to raise the bar on who I consider a hero. Yes. Making those checks has got to cost... What, $50? Like, that's got to be an expensive thing to print in and around. I guess. (laughs) So he's quoted as saying, they decided to treat me like a million-dollar winner. The guy came down the stairs, and they took me into the back room where the camera was with the Iowa Lottery logo. Sure enough, they wrote me the $1 check and had me hold it up and took the picture. (laughs) And the story ends this way. He used his winnings, his huge winnings, to pay for half of a gallon of gas. (laughs) I'd just be pumped to find $2 gas right now, actually. That's the real win there. Are we doing this again? Pumped? Was that your move uh, there? Oh, I didn't even mean to. That's See, how, now you've got me reading into everything you said. That's how much this is a sickness for me. That I can't. They're coming out even if I'm not even intending them to. Okay, uh, so this one comes from the University of Nebraska. Uh, Nebraska college student builds 84 uh, snowmen in one night. Subtext is Nebraska college student needs a hobby. Like, what is it? <laughs> Poor snowmen. I will say, though, like later in the story, he says, um, I found it kind of therapeutic. I didn't expect people to love them so much, but it for him was like really kind of a calming thing. And I, you know, when I think about it, especially as a kid making, you know, snowmen with my, with my dad, with my brothers, like I, I could kind of see that. In fact, I, I retract my, uh, my sarcasm. I could see that being like a really, Relaxing type of uh, type of an endeavor. I'm going to reinsert sarcasm here. <laughs> All right, go right ahead. Eighty four. Yeah, that's that's a lot. Maybe four. <laughs> or I, I'd be interested to know the size of them. Um, but, that's true. But that's a lot of time and energy. I mean, did he do it by himself? Uh, I don't. I don't know. It I'm says going he, with. Uh, I'm going with yes. He says he couldn't sleep, so I had to take my mind off, and this did the trick. I really think it was by himself. Fascinating. Well, let me tell you a story out of California that that is near and dear to my heart. Headline, teenage diver finds 25,000 pounds of golf balls rotting off of California. What? Okay. So we're Pebble Beach, one of the most iconic, most famous, most expensive golf courses there is in the country. Beautiful. Right there on the ocean in uh, Carmel, California, Pebble Beach. And somebody went off, a 16-year-old went diving. Because the, um, this person wanted to help clean up the ocean. Sure. Okay. And what this 16 year old diver by the name of Alex Web, uh, Weber found uh, was that there was golf balls so littered right by Pebble Beach that you couldn't see the sand. Wow. And uh, this makes me feel good. <laughs> As a golfer? Yes. <laughs> 50,000 golf balls. Okay, so I learned something though. I didn't know golf balls rotted. Apparently, did you did you know that they? Nope. Usually, when I hit him in the water, I let him go. You just let him. <laughs> You're not diving in after him, man. If I played Pebble Beach, I would think maybe we get them as a sponsor. That'd be fun. Just, that would be incredible. If I ever played Pebble Beach, I would I would be adding more than a few to uh, the golf guard the golf uh, ball graveyard that apparently is the ocean. <laughs> See, right there, you you can be the golfer on this show. I I used to be a caddy, and that cured me from a desire of ever golfing ever i'm also just not that good that's probably why but uh this one comes out of russia i don't know if we've had a lot of uh stories from russia no it's, i feel like it's like 
It's dangerous these days. It is. That's true. Like, this is not collusion. Right. This one's not written by Michael Cohen. Uh, it's, uh, it says, this Russian startup wants to put huge ads in space. Surprisingly, not everyone is on board. <laughs> but the article is fascinating, though. It's talking about how they would do it, and they want to create these, essentially, these, like, massive intergalactic, like, like billboards, these digital billboards uh, putting ads in space, which sounds like a really expensive endeavor, but one that could conceivably really be feasible like that. What, I don't even know that there are rules for that particular space. Like, how do you market that? How do you who owns that? How do you how do you actually you know mitigate all the legalities of putting ads in space? I have absolutely no idea, but uh, that's a bit crazy. Yeah. And now if the Russians are doing it, you know who's going to do it next? Oh, boy. We are. That's true. Because uh, <laughs> we are going to want to get a, my last one out of Florida. Uh, get out of here, you clown. Florida homeowner foils burglary with a two-way talk camera. I've been seeing these, right? You yeah. see these commercials. Well, apparently a burglar went in, dressed in a black hoodie and latex glove, was going to break into a house. When motion censoring technology, the ring camera alerted the homeowner, and he yelled at the guy right there. Oh, boy. Well, what a way to end the show. <laughs> what a way to end the show. We're really glad that you joined us today on this Monday. Hopefully, we were able to help you on your commute to stay warm. This is The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. For Ian Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. Have a great Monday. We hope to talk to you tomorrow. See ya. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.